Steve and Kevin Review 2016 for Vintage on episode 60 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 60 of So Many Insane Plays, our 2016 year in review. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Good to be with you. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at Many Insane Plays, email us at So Many Insane Plays Podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTG Cast, or TheManadrain.com. We have some fun announcements this episode, and in my opinion, the funnest one has to do with the VSL. Now, if you haven't heard on social media, Twitter, or Facebook already, I will be joining the play-in tournament for the Vintage Super League this season. Which is season six. Yeah. Now, I want to quote a little bit of the Patreon update that uh, Matt Steinman posted on Facebook, just so I get all the details right here. We're expanding to 12 players, switching the format to a group-based format where four people play a full round-robin against each other each night. As far as the cast goes, Kai, Luis, and Shuhei are not returning, but we've added Dave Williams, Chris Pecula, and Bob Marr to the league. They're joined by returning players Eric Froelich, Rich Shea, Brian Kelly, Paul Rietzel, David Ochoa, and me, Randy Bueller. This was, I'm quoting Randy still. That leaves three spots up for grabs in the play-in tournament. We've got eight awesome players lined up to compete for them. Steven Menendian, Reed Duke, Andy Brassman Probosco, Rachel Agnes, Rodrigo Tagores, Caleb Durward, Kevin Crowen, and Oliver Tu. Apologies to those of you who I've not met in person that I may have just botched your name. Four of them will play two rounds of Swiss on January 3rd. Whoever goes 2-0 will earn a spot in the league. The two 1-1 one one players will then play for a bye in the last chance qualifier. The other four will then play on the 10th using the same format. That'll leave six players left, and they'll play a double a limb over the course of two shows for the final spot. So this is pretty fun, Steve. I mean, not only do I get to play Magic Online for the first time, <laughs> but I get to play it against some of the best vintage players out there, which uh, you know puts no small amount of pressure on me. It's awesome. Something, I, something that I, you're well used to at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm ecstatic for, it. and also for the all the other. It's fun to see how excited people get the play, play an event. Yeah, yeah. Just, It's a lot of fun, and yeah. uh, we're gonna get to see a lot of cool decks. I have no doubt, and a lot of the which I've ne- never. Met, I'm excited to see what they bring. Um, the the last season of the Vintage Super League was particularly painful for me, mostly because <laughs> I started out one, but then I I went oath a Ravager Workshop deck that I thought was awesome, won every one of those matches, but yeah. got incredibly unlucky. So it was kind of just you know it's this has been a nice a nice break, but I'm, I'm <laughs> eager and raring to get uh, fi- things fired back up. Again. And this format's really different. Interesting thing that you mentioned is that although I was relegated last season in the play-in event, returning being um, David Williams, the celebrity Master Chef, <laughs> he made it to the finals of the Master Chef uh, mm-hmm. reality show this past uh, fall season. Season, yeah. yeah, it was it was really fun to do that. But he he inspired me to be a better chef in the kitchen. Uh, and Chris Pakula, the meddling mage, and Bob Marr, the great one. I mean, I'm happy to see all three of them back in the league. But they had been relegated in earlier seasons, and they're just being directly slotted in. I applaud. So it means it means uh. There's still plenty of space for the play-in event. We'll have uh, 
um, still three slots to fight for. So that yeah, three of eight is a. I mean, those are decent odds, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's kind it's of a generous. Almost almost fifty percent chance to get in, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited. I'm honored and I'm very excited. I, I'm I'm practicing my magic online skills these days and i'm still going to be pretty green compared to everyone else in the league but but it's uh, it's gonna be and just to remind folks we should plug it that they should go to the patreon if they enjoy the vintage super league uh you can you know get whatever you want um join and there's different levels of membership it's like a dollar a show gets you into the the patreon and you can follow the discussions including nominating players that you think to be considered for play into that's yeah. a definitely worth yeah we definitely encourage our audience to do so because there will be future play-in tournaments and you can have your voice heard in terms of who is considered steve you got some old school coming out on vintage magic is that right yeah i just wanted to remind everyone that my ongoing old school magic series is being published on vintage magic the last uh, magic.com the, f- the last uh, article that was published and they're all free was my um second place finish in eternal weekend this past year which was a one place improvement on my 2015 <laughs> published last month so if folks like long full magic with lots of decks uh, be sure to check out that next month i'll have a report on an ice age deck that I... and uh on eternal central uh, of course the gush has been a lot of fun to to see people get that for the holidays mm-hmm. but um i've got two upcoming products my annual 2017 checklist and I started this in 2009 on Star City Games, where I create a list, a complete exhaustive list of all the played and playable, in my view, playable and air cards and vintage <laughs> organized into a spreadsheet so people put their collections on Magic Online or organize their binders with it. And I update it. And this year, the update will have all the cards I room 2016 checklist because they just been top eight um, or otherwise. Um, and all the cards that have been added. And one of the peculiarities of this year, which we'll delve into a little bit more, is that there have been a lot more cards that entered the vintage card pool than have, have left a variety. Of, that, that's a really nice product. It's really just a couple bucks and just need a kind of way to organize their collection periodically and update their, you know, update their binder. It, and it's also useful if you're a, a, you know, a heavy trader and you're looking for playable cards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great, it's a really useful product. The other thing is my, um, I, was, I submitted this to our editor at Eternal Central last month in November, but he's still working on it. And that's the 2004 History of Vintage. For those of you who don't know, a couple of years ago, I, pub- I started publishing year by year the, quote, History of Vintage in Type 1. Um, and I produced the first 11-year product that's the first 10 years. And so it has decks, that, the metagame from every year from 1993 to you know up to 2003 and the 2004 chapter which is really really big it's an it's a behemoth ginormous article um is just under editing right now so that should be out in early january just be on the lookout for that on it awesome the content just keeps on coming it's it's awesome i mean it's one of the it's this isn't a storyline of the year per se but one of the cool <laughs> things of the year is i mean in, in addition to my book jaco's book on jaco drazi and these beautiful hardcovers you know we're in the the um era of kindle and ipad and e-reader but there is something really special about seeing a cool hardcover and it's been really fun to see people really enjoy not just my gush book but but jaco's eldrazi book which is really it's a really cool book um you know he goes through all of the Eldrazi variants has some really good strategic advice, lots of examples. Um, it's just it's just cool, and and I guess while I'm at it, I'll plug um, Titus Chalk has wrote a couple years ago a book called 
so you think, hold on. No, it was, so do you wear a cape? Yeah, thank you. So do you, do you wear a cape? One of the most remarkable and comprehensive histories of magic that I'd ever read. I mean, he talks about the kind of business side of what was happening behind the game, um, some of the development side, artistic side, uh, really up to the present. And uh, that that book, I thought, was and had a lot in the curve list. Well, it's it's getting a, a formal publisher now, and it's called Generation Dex. I think it comes out. I'm not sure exactly when. I've got a, a a promo copy. It's a really great book. Unfortunately, he had to cut a lot of the uh, you know vintage and type one stuff just because it's not as accessible to a broad audience. But it is, I think, the best history of the game that exists. That is the wow. creation of the game, the you know the story behind it, how you know the launch, um, the development, the kind of trials and tribulations that have existed throughout the kind of the game it's remarkable i mean reading that book really made me think differently about the game in so many respects it created a kind of critical historical context i mean i can't i wrote if folks are in, curious about that check that check that book but lots of yeah. cool books about magic i mean and, and i have no <laughs> doubt that we'll yeah i liked that tweet that someone reached out to the show i don't remember who it was at the moment but they're asking for our recommendations for the best books and you you responded briefly but it was funny how i I mean i knew you would have some good and humorous thoughts on the matter i have a a stack of of magic books and um yeah there's there's some great ones out there as well as early duelists are are really fun to Mm -hmm. well moving on to events then locally here in michigan we've got the next riw event that is at riw in livonia michigan on january 22 that's a Sunday. I mentioned, in, I think in our last episode, I made a, a, a somewhat humorous comment about how we have a small but consistent crowd that shows up at RIW. The last event, which was two weeks ago now, I believe, maybe it was only a week. Anyway, the last event was a blizzard in southern Michigan. Just, <laughs> just wall to wall, it snowed all day long. And we still had 11 people show up <laughs> at RIW on the eastern side of the state, which gets, I mean, it was bad snow. And it was, you know, inches and inches of snow all day long, but the diehards were there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I had that. a great time. I had a great time. Do you, yeah, do you also, we... in, I mean, heavy snow as a, mm-hmm. a general weather experience, but uh, do you also enjoy driving in said weather? Um, yes, I really, really do. <laughs> if I have a vehicle that's capable of handling itself. <laughs> and and uh, and you know my wife and I have one good vehicle that has all-wheel drive and and uh, Aaron Katz did all the driving uh, at this particular event and his vehicle is all-wheel drive and so when you're in a position like that it's really fun. <laughs> it's like it's like I guess having a, a kind of a tank and you're just you're, <laughs> you're good to go and you're just driving through it and having fun, huh? Yeah, I like the adventure of the thing. It, it gives. <laughs> it's also it's it's humbling. One of the reasons I like inclement weather especially in the winter is how it's it forces you to be humble about your capabilities as a human being <laughs> well that can go that can go too far uh, i'll just remark that um people in california especially in let's say middle upper northern california in the bay area san francisco bay area they drive in the rain like people mm. in ohio drive in snow so <laughs> so yeah. it's a matter of, a matter of degree <laughs> yeah i agree it is a matter of degree and i wouldn't i would not promote anyone who's listening to this to be unsafe in any way don't don't push your limits too far but uh yeah it's if you're capable of doing it and doing it safely and and slow and steady on the highway then it's it's really fun well you are an aggressive driver i remember driving <laughs> to star city games power nine events in just torrential downpours i mean like full-blown <laughs> hurricane level uh, <laughs> weather 
and you're just happy as a clam driving with your yeah. you know your knee on the steering wheel going you know 85 <laughs> i don't know <laughs> okay it wasn't that bad but i was still quite comfortable and enjoying myself driving in those downpours <laughs> to richmond virginia yeah if there's any team short bus people listening to this right now uh we remember those days fondly all right so yes there will be rain or shine there will be an event in livonia michigan on january 22 and i will be there but let's move on to a a brief but important metagame update before we get into our urine review Now I've compiled the Q4 Magic Online Daily updates. We're not doing a full metagame update episode here, but we wanted to talk about a couple of trends since Eternal Weekend. Uh, I don't have the paper data yet. Sorry about that. We'll, we'll do a, a more serious update show probably in January but or, or soon after. But let's just talk about since uh, October. Now we've got October data in here, and there weren't very many dailies comparatively. There weren't as many dailies that fired in October. We had a total of... 38 dailies in October, 49 in November, and 46. Now these aren't, I'm sorry, these aren't events. These are decks. These are three one or better okay, finishes. Sorry, I would, I know I, what I said was misleading. We didn't have 38 dailies. We had 38 three <laughs> one or better decks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in October, 49, November, 46 in December so far. So December far. Complete. Yeah. So it's, it's actually kind of nice. I mean, dailies have been firing slightly more in November and December. Would you say, would you say there's about four, four dailies a week? The fire about something in there four yeah or five. there have been there have been lately it's, it's been a little bit better than it was before <clears throat> but at any rate so the in october time frame there's a consistent message here going into eternal weekend there was a little bit more variety in the metagame mentor and shops were those variants of those decks were still one and two as they have been for a while but going into eternal weekend there was a little bit more eldrazi a little bit more Dredge, Oath, Landstill, all of the basically second tier numbers wise decks on Magic Online. I don't mean to say that those decks are not valid, just that they're traditionally far below Shops and Mentor on the whole. In November, in terms of 4 0 finishes, the top two decks were again Shops and Mentor. Out of 10 4 0 finishes in November, there were four Shops and two Mentor. And there was one each for Storm, Jeskai Control. Eldrazi, and Delver. So if you slice that a little bit differently, the, the Mentor decks, I've been grouping them as Mentor decks, but there have been an uptick in Paradoxical Mentor decks. I've been a couple in there, yeah. I, let's, yeah. Let's, let's distinguish between the Gush Mentor and Paradoxical Mentor if we can, because yeah, I don't well, want people to yeah. think we're talking about Gush decks. We're not only talking about Gush decks, that is absolutely certain. Um, but I don't have the breakdown in the data I've got here, apologies. But I, I can say exactly what you said is, is exactly true. So shops came out on top with four out of ten or forty percent of the four O finishes in November. Out of everything, Me- shops are forty percent. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Forty percent of the four O's, right? Yeah. There's only ten though. Same story in November. I'm sorry, December so far, but there's been even more consolidation around the top two. There have been ten four O finishes in December. Five shops, four mentor. At least Nine- one of which. At least one of which was a paradoxical. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
there's just not room for anything else in December. <laughs> and, and the the only other one yeah. was one, yeah, one dredge. Now it's funny. While we started recording the show tonight, Erin Campbell tweeted that she won today's daily with dredge. <laughs> so there's going to be at least one more. But so that's all the four O finishes. Let's talk about all finishes then. Three well, one or on. better. Hold on. The key thing. The yeah. key point is that in the entire Q4. Shops is the best performing deck in the dailies in the four O's. It, it it's is. got forty one percent of the dailies. That's the bottom That's right. line is that Shops is the best deck online right now. And in addition in, to in that yeah. yes. And in addition to that, the other story is the consolidation of the metagame. Because second place mentor with eight out of twenty seven four O's in Q four, no other deck has more than one. Oath, <laughs> Landstill, Hate Bears, Storm, Jeskai Control, Eldrazi, Dredge, and Delver. One ofs for all of those in terms of four of. Wow. Now, now let's talk about the the three one or better. This is a much larger data set. 133 uh, performances in total in October. The top two were still Mentor and Shop. Shops was out of 38. Shops had 12. Mentor had 10. The next most popular deck had only three. It was Oath. So 12 and 10 out of 38. In November, Mentor takes first in terms of overall performances with 17 out of 49. Shops had 12. But sneaking into the works is now Storm. And these are a mixture of Paradoxical, Outcome Storm, and Dark Petition Storm. But Paradoxical is more popular right now online than DPS. And that's 5 out of 49. A big uptick in Storm decks, primarily because of Paradoxical Outcome. (laughs) Similar story in December... 46 total. Mentor and Shops were both tied at 16 apiece. Second place with four was Storm. Also second place is Dredge. Now I think that the Dredge up t- uptick can be uh, can be partially attributed specifically to Erin Campbell. <laughs> so uh, there's some, some funny things going on with her streaming Dredge in the dailies as much as she can. But the same storyline continues except in terms of three one finishes or better, Mentor actually did better. But again, there's a lot of paradoxical thought cast mentor in there there is there is yeah and there's a lot of paradoxical outcome in different flavors too that's in the mentor list it's in most of the storm lists lately it's been very popular and there's also a couple of there, there was a, a belcher variant that had the paradoxical outcome as well it's been showing up in lots of different experimental lists but the consolidation story is clear mentor and shops one and two nothing else is even coming close in all of q4 Mentor and Shops combined for 83 out of 133. Where did the Eldrazi go? Is the, yeah. Are the Shops decks using, besides Thought Not Seer, or are they going more Fleet Wheel Cruiser and Vehicle route, or there's both? A, they're, about, they're about half Car Shops, and the other half is either Ravager or Thought Not, and or Thought Not Seer. Part of the spike was because Montolia went back to his, what, is now somewhat retro baseline thought not seer shop list and he did really well in a, in a streak of dailies there in november with just a, what what is kind of a, an old technology list if you will yeah it's what i played almost identical to what i played in the vsl last season right and, and what he, he and, and what he yeah. won the power nine or M- not more the power importantly nine, what he won the uh, what he won the uh, NYSE NYSE with forward. yeah yeah or did he win the man or did he win the mandarin open now andy unfortunately got ninth place at the mandarin open the waterbury oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so either way, he's been doing quite well. He's always the best. I think he's been the best performing individual over Q4 uh, on Magic Online in terms of four O's. I was going to say he's the best performing individual in Vintage, I think, this year. Ninth place (laughs) at the Mediterranean Open, top eight at Vintage Champs, won the NYSE. um, And he, I think at least, I think he won a couple of, of the Power Nine events 
he won at least one of the Power Nine events this year with right. I think it was Omniscient's Oath in Q1. So quite a year for Andy Markin. That is certainly true. So if you're playing online in the near future, you have to be ready for workshops in the form of either Thought Not Ravager variants or the car shops, and you have to be ready for Mentor. But the Mentor lists are uh, a pretty healthy mixture of Jeskai, somewhat traditional Jeskai with a mixture of Mentors, a couple of Young Pyromancers, a couple of Jace Rins Prodigy, a couple of Snapcaster Mage, those kind of lists with some Dak Faden still. And then these Paradoxical Outcome lists like what you and I played at Champs. Yeah. <laughs> And and I know it's I know that that grouping is I would call it misleading perhaps <laughs> unfortunate because uh, I had been in the habit of grouping mentors separately from other gush lists in the way I break these down separating from Delver separating from say Pyro Gush the tendrils kind of decks but now it's getting even more complicated and, and, uh, just by calling something mentor so we're gonna talk about that and address it in a larger metagame update. Yeah, sounds good. Interesting to see the, the vintage metagame evolve. In our wrap-up of the Eternal Weekend show, mm-hmm. I think we talked about how we thought that the workshop decks were kind of uh, continuing to be the, the thing to beat, and this data, I think, does that from yeah. my perspective. I mean, it's cl- quite clear that gush, the Gush decks are doing well, that the paradoxical outcome is appearing, but it sounds like the shop's still the thing to beat. I would say so. And it doesn't help that Chops is basically the worst matchup for those paradoxical outcome decks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, another another healthy portion of those workshop decks are the the modern stacks decks, like what Jacob Corey took second at champs with the Null Rod based, possibly ensnaring bridge kind of workshop decks. But let's move on to our year in review and our moxies. favorite segments of the year kevin or has become one mm-hmm. for folks who don't know our moxies are our annual uh, award show <laughs> uh this is uh, some people give out grammys or oscars we give out moxies very um, prestigious what, very mm-hmm. <laughs> why don't you go over the categories first well we have these are for the whole year we have best card best, best set card Yep. That, sorry, best, best new card. card. Yeah. Best new card, thank you. Best new card. Best new set. <laughs> best deck. And best storyline. Now, our storyline category should should possibly be renamed best narrative or something like that. Because we put out a call on Twitter for best story. And we got a couple of funny in-game kind of stories from folks, which I appreciate. But yeah. uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're really we... going for a more narrative concept than, than anecdote. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we did get some good ones. Some, there's an amazing scenario where yeah. I, my opponent had. It's not exactly what we're looking for. But <laughs> no, I, but, we but they're enjoyable. The, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the the feedback. So, so we we have some nominations that we got. Yeah. Based let's go on feedback. The and we also I also want to just walk through what happened this year in terms of timeline. But so Kevin, let's let's start with card is the first category. How's that? That's good. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. So this is a list built from our nominees that we got from Twitter and email, as well as our own input, 
our candidates, our top candidates are fragmentize, thought not seer, prized amalgam, paradoxical outcome, Emrakul the promised end, <laughs> Thalia heretic Cathar, Eldrazi temple, and Leovold emissary of trust. That's a that's a pretty deep set of contributions from this year. It we'll really folks... really is. Read through it one more time. Okay. Just just so right. for our listeners, so I have to rewind. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta think about these as I read. Fragmentized, thought not seer, prized amalgam, paradoxical outcome, Emrakul the promised end, Thalia heretic Cathar, Eldrazi temple, and Leovold emissary of trust. So while people are thinking of which of those cards they think is the, let's say the best card of the year or have the biggest impact or deserves our moxie. I'll just read very quickly, much more quickly than Kevin did, a list of cards from my vintage checklist that I that were printed this year that I had noted that saw play. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't finalized because the editor hasn't gotten me, given me feedback yet, and I'll need to do a second run through. But but quickly, here we go. Cards that are printed this year that have seen play: Eldrazi Temple, Eye of Ugin, Inventor's Fair, Minamo, School at Water's Edge, Wastes. All is dust. Emrakul, the promised end. Emrakul, the promised end. Eldrazi displacer. Eldrazi mimic. Endless one. And bringer matter reshaper. Reality smasher. Spatial contortion. Thought not seer. Warping will. World breaker. Void winner. I believe was printed this year, right, Kevin, or was that last year? I don't remember if that was battle or oath. Let me check. And then Ulamog as well. Um, while you're checking, foundry inspector. Fleet wheel cruiser. Smuggler's copter. Sky sovereign. Console flagship. Steel overseer. Paradoxical outcome, thing in ice. Let's not forget about the thing in the ice moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, fragmentize, sanctum prelate was another big one this year. Uh, Duretti, <laughs> ingenious iconoclast. Jorian was printed. Campbell, console of allocation. Leovold, mausoleum wanderer. Was Nahiri this year? Or was that before? Which one? Nahiri. That was last year. Nahiri was last year. Prized amalgam, as you said, was this year. Spell queller. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm, a couple of those ones you listed are, are were not printed this year. Like oh, my bad. Steel Overseer was not printed this year. But to your point, that's it's it's, it's a long list. <laughs> yeah, it's a long list. There yeah. are a lot of candidates. <laughs> there are. So how should we go about doing this, Steve? Do we want to make a case for more than one here? Do we, or do you just want to have each one of us make our pick? I think it's a good idea to make the case for the, the top nominees. Um, I think we can make the case and then we'll make make our pick. How's that? We'll try that. Okay, okay. Well, I think we can rule a couple of these out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> as fun as it is, I think you can rule out Leovold. Leovold is an exciting card to discuss, evaluate, and play, but he just hasn't put up the results, right? The results yeah, just Leo- aren't there. Leovold's got a couple of problems with him. One problem is that you mu- you have to play a three-color deck to play him at a minimum. But yeah. as a practical matter, everyone who's played him usually plays a four-color deck. Because <laughs> to support him, you usually run like Deathrite Shaman... And or yeah. you want to have red for um, sulfur elemental, you, or or white <laughs> for you know the other things. So yeah. you you don't really go bug. So he's got the problem that you basically have to four four color deck for Leovold, and he greatly suffered at Vintage Champs because of that in this yeah. really oppressive Thalia um, workshop environment. Leovold yeah. is a four color deck is not really where you want to be. <laughs> um, as good as he is against. The non, let's call them taxing decks. I don't know, Kevin. What is your opinion on calling the Thalia and shop decks taxing decks? Um, boy, that's really interesting. I think that's a fine, it's a fine use and concept for how those decks function. But I don't know. It's a cultural it, thing, it, it, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really, really want to call them thorn decks per se, but they are. You know, it's like, but it, 
calling the Thorn deck, I think, overemphasizes Thorn's importance in either one of those yeah. decks or the Eldrazi. At the same time, I, um, yeah. I mean, I, there, there are too many subtle differences to point to any one thing other than Thorn and Wasteland, right? I mean, yeah. that's one of the so challenges. We'll just so. call them taxing decks. I mean, because Thali is more important, in my opinion, for the White Eldrazi decks. And, yeah. and you know, I'd rather Sphere is more important, in my opinion, the shop decks, I, I would say. So, so let's just go... Um, Let's just call them taxing decks, even though that risks confusion with land tax. I don't think anyone but old school players are going <laughs> to make that mistake. Right. So Leovold is just poorly positioned against the taxing decks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's 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 a great card, but, but a, a bit narrow. Yeah. And humorously, even though she's been actually quite in, in more decks and quite good, I think that you can probably relegate Thalia off of this list too, just because... She hasn't quite solidified herself as a, a, a given in the White Eldrazi list. No, she hasn't. And she she did it. I, I did a, a close analysis of this. She's appeared in a lot of the White Eldrazi decks, including the one that was in the top eight of the Vintage Championship. Mm-hmm. But I think she's actually very weak. I, I think what? that I think in that strategy, that's not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, I, don't. I, th- I think the results have borne out that she's she's not she's down on the list in terms of the most powerful cards in that deck yeah and the recent lists online there have been some black white lists that had come ball and i think that people are exploring other options in that slot interesting really yeah. interesting um a card that i nominated to appear was eldrazi temple because it's a kind of counterintuitive card but just from a pure numbers perspective it's got to be up there it's in the <laughs> it white really eldrazi is. the jaco eldrazi and it's in the shops eldrazi virtually the all of them. ones yeah yeah you're right. In terms of numbers, it's very high on the list, and the fact that the card exists has been formative for all of those lists, right? Exactly. I mean, it, these cards, it, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a, it's problematic to evaluate it from an analytical perspective because <laughs> the value of Thought Not Seer or any of these Eldrazi is dependent and conditioned on the presence of this land, this mm-hmm. special land. So this land fundamentally changes. You know, it's hard to say. Is it, is it the, you know, it's, a, is it's kind of a chicken or the egg problem. Is it the land or is it the the threat? Mm-hmm. It's both, right? It's the composite, the interaction of. But Eldrazi Temple makes a really good case. A really good case. You're right. It, it, there's a chance that it's the most numerous on this list, but I'd have to compare it to Thought Not Seer itself. And I'm thinking about the, there are there are a small number of decks that have Thought Not Seer and no temples, right? Are there yeah. any decks that have temple but don't have Thought Not Seer? That <laughs> I would can't imagine. possibly be true. I would imagine not. But so I imagine that it, this, in terms of numbers, Temple is probably fair. a close second, a very close second to Thought Not Seer on this list. Yeah. Well, let's let's make our way through the through the rest of the nominees. All right. Another one that I don't think uh, really can be a winner is Emrakul, the Promised End. Agreed. While it <laughs> Emrakul has shown some very high profile, including our current vintage champ list. Um, some very high-profile performances. It's just not a consistent performer. And I'm not convinced that Emrakul is even correct in the Landstill list at one, right? I just think there's a lot of threats and and powerful things you can put in that spot, and and she's not critical to the function of that deck. I'm not not willing to dismiss it either. I do think it does some really good things in that deck. And uh, Rich Shea has had a banner year in sort of innovating a couple of these interesting decks. And I believe Rich Shea was the one who played who did really well in some of the dailies with this mm-hmm. Emrakul standstill deck. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean... But, this... but it's it's it, it got a lot of 
let's say visibility, but I I don't think it's it's one of the top <laughs> no. top three. No. Yeah. <clears throat> what would you pull? So we've got we've eliminated three. We talked about Eldrazi Temple. The four remaining I, are Fragmentized, Thought Not, Amalgam, and Outcome. I would also consider Eldrazi Displacer in the li- remaining list, just because Eldrazi Displacer's specific interaction with Containment Priest is so critical. But I also think Eldrazi Displacer, compared to Thought Not Seer, obviously, is much more limited in terms of play. Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of in the Thalia Heretic Cathar category, but not quite that narrow. <laughs> um, I, I agree that Displacer although, is... Although, Closer to Thalia on this list than it is to Thought Not, but I guess Thalia might. But I think both Displacer and Thalia are probably pretty interesting in just five-color beat stacks as well. So I don't want to write that off either. Yeah, that's Prize true. Da- the problem with Prize Amalgam, and I'll let you, is that is that it's just used in Dread, right? Yes. So it also has the narrow problem. I I like talking about the Amalgam because it was so deceptively good. And you and I did not predict it would become as ubiquitous as it has in the deck. But at the same time, it hasn't been a major difference maker in terms of, oh, now this deck can get past one th- this, that, this, that, or the other thing. It, it's it's a, more of a grindy card. It's more of a value card in Dredge. It does not promote the, the turn two kills. It promotes the longer games where you have more reliable threats, which is a good thing, and certain lists are built to abuse that. But at the same time, I don't feel like it pushed Dredge over and above the things that Dredge needed right. to be able to beat. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a quality <laughs> addition, but I it's but I don't think it's a, a difference maker to the degree of earning our moxie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to the final three candidates. Let's go to Par- Paradoxical Outcome next. Yeah. I I want to spend some time on this because we spent an hour in our last set review on Paradoxical <laughs> Outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm actually I went back and listened to it. I'm really proud of our set review, although <laughs> I think the, many of the key points we didn't actually get to until the last eight to ten minutes. Um, there were a couple of things that I wanted to point out yeah. from there. One is that we both mentioned that paradoxical outcome is a critical mass spell, like mm-hmm. Mind's Desire. And in fact, on October twelfth of this year, I tweeted the same thing. I said. Um, my my October 12th tweet was, <laughs> this card is absurd and vintage. It plays like Mind's Desire, and I posted a photo of Paradoxical Outcome. Um, so, I mean, we knew, I knew a long months and months ago, this was very very similar to Mind's Desire in that it's it's a critical mass deck that can allow you to draw your card, draw your deck. And in the in our set review, the specific thing I said in res, with respect to this was that the second if the second outcome finds the third one the third one is quote likely to draw your entire deck <laughs> now at the time when i listened to it you objected a little bit you thought that was a little bit hyperbole i suspect that you probably think that's less hyperbolic than i said at the time but um we explicitly referenced it in connection with mind's desire the more important thing i think we did besides just describe how it functioned in the set review was that we specifically pointed out where it would most likely see play we talked about big mana, big mana storm combo decks, although you and I kind of went back and forth in terms of storm versus Belcher. I think you kept thinking about it slightly more in terms of Belcher, and I kept trying to push back on that. And I mentioned it in terms of uh, I I thought that Empty the Warrens might be the first place to go in terms of a storm kill, but I mentioned Empty, uh, Brain Freeze, and I even mentioned Hunting Pack, but I also mentioned uh, Grape Shot, uh, storm. 
tendrils was left implicit, but um, <laughs> that certainly has has borne out. I mean, one of the things that I pointed out in the course of the set review question was, could you generate enough non-blue mana? And I and we I kept pointing out how Mox Opal function allows you to do that. Um, but I I think what's interesting is that in many ways we exactly sketched out the paradoxical storm deck that Reed Duke has used. We talked about all the components in that deck, mm-hmm. all the mana accelerants. Um, and you made an interesting observation that you thought that that kind of approach would be a little bit slower than Belcher, but faster than DPS. And I think that hits the nail on the head. Um, we also talked about how it would be used in big mana co- control combo decks. We spent a lot of time talking about in Steel City Vault, specifically because Steel City Vault ran See the Synod and, um, and Thoughtcast, mm-hmm. which is what the approach that you and I took in the, for Vintage Champs when I designed the Thoughtcast Mentor deck with Paradoxical Outcome and really tuned that. And I think that deck, um, I think we pretty much nailed that in terms of describing it in big mana control combo decks. Uh, we did kind of conclude that we didn't think it would be very good in traditional Grixis style decks because there weren't quite enough artifacts. Um, the tension that we talked about in terms of reviewing it is that we thought it would be really bad against Thorn and Sphere effects, which is true, especially in the critical mass versions of the deck, because Paradoxical Outcome requires you, when you're trying to win in one turn, a single Sphere effect will prevent you from doing that. Mm -hmm. That's why we took the Mentor approach, which is where returning all of your artifact permanents is okay, because then you can just redeploy them in a chain without having to win that turn. And that's why you and I both played that instead of combo right that's why mm-hmm. we played mentor instead of paradoxical combo combo um i still feel like we were correct in terms of the metagame although we did not perform as well be- as well as Reduke with the storm deck do you still feel the same way or do you think that um the storm deck is i have had bad experiences with our lists at during and since champs focused around null rod that's exactly it and we... so null rod <laughs> is a huge problem i oh. I have yet to design or really put work into a any kind of middle ground, but if there was a way to be a mentor list without being a thought cast list or without being a seat of the synod list, more yes. importantly, yeah, I would like to explore that. I think Reed's list is advantaged in the current metagame just because of the higher land count uh, that you can get to reliably casting anti null rod cards. Well, post sideboard. I mean, there's a couple of interesting things about that. One is that in our set review, we explicitly and specifically pointed out that Null Rod was kind of at an all-time low, yeah. which was true at the time. It was now, true at the Null, time. Null Rod has searched specifically because of Paradox Welcome. So we hit the right metagame moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I think you're right. I think we we had four Fragmentize and two Hercules for Null Rod, but that probably wasn't enough. Yep. I think post champs, especially with more null rods, you you really do probably need steel sabotage in addition to the fragmentize. Yeah, you probably have to have a minimum of six of that one mana effect. And I agree with you. You you probably need a little bit more mana. The, the other place that we got tripped up in our deck, our our deck is much much better than gush decks against workshops against spheres and taxing effects. Yeah. The problem is that our deck on the draw can't deal with two taxing effects. Yeah. Because you just don't have enough land. So two taxing effects on the draw, our deck can't develop. Yep. That's the that's a fundamental problem. Uh, but I yeah. think gush decks also face that to some extent. So I I like where our deck was positioned. I, I agree with you. It felt really good for champs. And since then, I think it's less well positioned. And I would prefer to play a list that had more natural non-artifact lands in it. 
It's interesting, the Top Deck Games tournament this past weekend at 34 players, and the winner was playing a deck that's very similar to what we played, but he was playing, he played, he added two black cards. He added in the Underground Sea, he added Vamp, and he added, I think, Demonic? I can't remember which, but no Yogwill. And he added um, Key Vault, mm-hmm. which we did not play. I mean, we considered it, but we didn't play it. Right. Um, I think Key Vault. But he won the tournament, you. and he beat he beat obviously he beat a lot of things in that event, including Joe Brennan in the top in the finals, who had three Stony Silence in his sideboard. Hmm. So you know our our, our deck it's pretty good. Derivations of it can do well. Yeah, it can do well. Um, it, I mean, the the reason we played it is because this this deck that is the best anti mentor deck that we could possibly design. I mean, yeah. it just crushed Gush Mentor. Just yeah. crushes it. <laughs> it felt great. That matchup felt great. And it's worth noting, you know, we're kind of doom and gloom about Null Rod. The deck doesn't go 0% against Null Rod deck. No. And sometimes no. you draw your Force of Will, sometimes you have Tundra Fragmentize, and then you go off. It's not like it's a dead matchup. It's just that right. if you're going to be facing Null Rod in... Oh, or sometimes you you have you resolve Mentor before the Null Rod, and then you just yeah. play free spells like Probe and Opal and stuff like that. It, it yeah. makes It's just the presence of Null Rod in your opponent's deck makes a lot of opening seven hands unkeepable even after sideboard you just have right. to look at certain hands and say nope <laughs> if, if they've got null rod i can't keep this and th- that's a that's an inherent weakness well, so I, I think the deck is still fun the magic online results clearly bear out that people are enjoying and having success with paradoxical yeah outcome. yeah i mean just the problem with reed duke's deck is that if you don't win on turn one if you, your opponent gets even a single sphere effect then you have to remove uh you have to remove it whether yeah. it's thalia or whatever Yep. You know, it's just you you must remove it. And so they have to pack in a lot of anti, you know, Hercule stuff. Whereas our approach is we can still win with taxing effects in play. In fact, quite easily. You can even <laughs> just, still you... win with Null Rod in play if you Exa- have a mentor first. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Last thing. So I think the way this is kind of shaped up is the Paradoxical Outcomes decks have clearly come in and just crushed Gush decks. There's a reaction now, though. Like, I saw Rich Shea the other night is playing like like Joe Brennan, you know, multiple Stony Silence main deck. Joe Brennan has three in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. So the Gush decks are adapting, but I still think the Paradox Outcome decks are a pretty strategically advantaged approach. Yep. Um, either either way. The, I just feel like we took the next step, which was instead of just playing the broken combo deck, which we clearly outlined was a way you could go, we took the, the more strategically, I think... Um, uh, the, the, this, this, the, the strategically superior route, which threaded the needle a little bit better, I felt. Mm-hmm. And um, I st- in my, you know, in my tweet where I posted our list, I said I feel like this is a deck of the future, and I feel like that. And in other words, when when I first played Mentor in the VSL, it was a really kind of fours and ones deck. It was really powerful all-in Mentor. I mean, it, you know, four Mentor, four Gush, you know. Um, uh, all that good stuff, but that approach proved to be not quite the right approach. That you want to supplement it with Ringe Prodigy or whatever, or Pyromancer. Um, and I think we're still at a little bit in the early stage. I think we're going to see these paradoxical mentor decks evolve a little bit more, building a little bit more resilience, like you're talking about. Maybe, maybe there's an alternative to having to rely on Thoughtcast and Seed of the Synod to get some early card advantage and still mm-hmm. be able to go big. Maybe that approach will prove to be better in the long run. Um, a little bit more resilient in the, you know, to the null rod effect, but just as just as big in terms of paradoxical outcomes. Um, and go ahead. 
the dailies have demonstrated that there are a lot of different flavors of paradoxical outcome and people have found some well, in between space with different builds well our uh, our set review canvassed more options that were than were even considered or have ever mm-hmm. appeared in i mean we talked about <laughs> we talked about how you could do all you know suicide virus we talked about cobalt we talked about a lot of different <laughs> things but the bottom line for us was we said we thought that the two main approaches would be speed combo and combo and control combo not combo control but control combo mm-hmm. like steel city vault and the approach that we i put our mentor thoughtcast mentor deck in that category it's a it's it's like the way i describe it is it's more like Psychotog than it is like like Slurpee. Slurpee being the Mind's Desire deck that never existed, if you recall, the yeah. Brain Freeze. It's more I like Psychotog. I forgot that it had that name. <laughs> <laughs> in that the the Mind's Desire deck tries to go on in one turn, whereas the Psychotog deck would resolve Intuition for AK for three, then play AK for four, and then play a big Yog Will. Yeah. In fact, the Mentor deck is very similar to that. The first. Paradoxical outcome is like AK for three. The second is like AK for four. And then the Yog will is like, I mean, and then the third, the third paradoxical one, outcome yeah. is like Yog will. So it's, you know, instead of winning with berserking a tog, a psychotog, you win with a gigantic mentor. And instead um, of going three, four, five, you go like three, seven, 40. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, one thing I just want to point out, because this will be my only saving grace here is when we get to some of these items the last two items in our nominees is that do you remember what i predicted and you predicted in terms of top eight appearances for paradoxical outcome well, obviously no, I'm, review this next i, next I don't remember review. the numbers you predicted zero i predicted three okay that's pretty I funny th- I, th- I think i'm going to be end up being right here <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i think so <clears throat> so paradoxical outcome i'm very very happy with our predictions and the way we handled that we correctly pointed out how bad it was against the the taxing decks i think the one thing that the tension the key tension we identified was that that maximizing the paradoxical outcome has a trade-off in being able being able to protect it that is that the more permanence you play the harder it is to kind of defend it with counter magic and i think that ends up being true that both the combo control versions and the extreme control versions they can they run a bare minimum of protection. So, Reduke deck just has um, forces main deck and bounce spells, and then defense grids in the sideboard. I think defense grid main deck is perfectly defensible, though yeah. if you're not playing with, especially if you're not playing with force. And our approach just ran four force and four and four men, uh, mental misstep because you can't really run and, and a fluster storm in the sideboard. Um, so it's hard to have kind of like a big hand when you resolve your first paradoxical outcome, but still. All you have to do is resolve one, and then you you leap ahead, right? So um, you leap True. ahead of the your opponent. True. Which is why it, it beats the gush decks. Um, but I think we may have I may have slightly overestimated how difficult it is to protect it. Um, but I think we I think we got almost everything right in terms of our predictions of protection outcome. I think that the um, I think we may have just overestimated a little bit the problem it has in terms of dealing with taxing decks simply because we were, I think, primarily looking at it from a combo perspective, although we talked a lot about how it would play in Steel City Vault, which is akin to our deck, and I think it would have been excellent if someone had decided to develop a Steel City Vault with Paradoxical Outcome. Yeah. Well, bringing this back around to the the Moxie's ranking, I think from a, in terms of impact, Paradoxical Outcome is, is, yeah. is making its name, and I do think you're right, that's a card of the future. 
at yeah. the moment, if you were to try specifically and group... because it's strategically advantaged against Gush, that yeah. why. that's why. Yeah. At the moment, I think if you were to group the archetypes in the dailies by, and, and I don't like using this word in this way, but by engine, if you were to call Mishra's workshop an engine, and if you were to call Gush an engine, I think paradoxical outcome would be the third most popular I, I engine. Agree. I agree. <laughs> If you make that 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 stretch of a comparison uh, online today, which is saying yeah. something, right? To be in third no, place after those no, two, it's, it's huge. It's important. It's important in an environment this year where people have, for some time, I don't, I don't think entirely without merit, but I also think a little bit exaggeratedly that that gush kind of dominates the blue category, mm-hmm. and paradoxical outcomes entry into the format creates a strategy and an engine and a draw a card advantage engine that can actually compete with gush on yep. in in the blue domain yep. <laughs> if you yep. will and, and, that's, important. and that's really important for this format and i think so paradox Arkham's great it's a welcome a welcome card and i hope it i hope it continues to make a, an impact and mm-hmm. it will also keep the format honest in terms of people are going to be using a lot more null rods and stony silence um so yep. I think that's a great thing. It's a really great thing for the format right now because we it needs more diversity at that level. But I think <laughs> you're also right that that it's it's still behind the other ones. So um, that leaves fragmentized and thought not seer. I'll just go in on these if, if you're okay with that. Sure. So fragmentized, I mean, is just incredible. A one mana disenchant functionally. It doesn't it doesn't hit, of course, cards that cost four more than four, and it's sorcery speed, but fundamentally you know it's interesting Ken. i was thinking about this the other day a lot of our listeners and a lot of vintage players don't have experience the, the let's say the length of experience that we have you know going back decades now mm-hmm. you know from my perspective naturalize is a recent card i know it's not even close to a recent card but when naturalize <laughs> was printed i was kind of really furious at the time because <laughs> and the reason i was so upset is because it naturalized to me it was a pivot point in the history of the format yeah and the specific pivot was that it stole from white. It was, I think it was from Planar Chaos. It stole from white a critical effect. And therefore, World in Wake. my... What? World Wake. It was in World Wake. Yep. Yeah. Well, Naturalize stole a critical effect. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's, no, it was no, 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 I'm Chaos. sorry. You're, you're, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Nature's Claim is World Wake. I was getting mixed up. Yeah. Um, Naturalize it, came out in, uh, in Onslaught. In Onslaught. Yeah, and it's older than that. Naturalize was a card that stole a critical effect from white and began a long decline of white in the format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a long period where almost no one, where white was by far the least played color in vintage. Yep. I mean, from basically, I want to say 2002 to really maybe four years ago, 2012 or something. I, I think white, it, sta- it started right around the time of Tog, right? Well, I think the card, yeah, I mean, exactly. That was where white really began its decline. Because white had always been an anchor color for multicolor control. Mm-hmm. And Psychotog was the four colors but wasn't white, right? And yep. um, and it was the shift away from Keeper. And then there was a number of, like, Control Slavers didn't use white. You know, yep. all these decks became, like, Grixis or used green or, you know. And that trend continued Really, until I want to say the card that began bringing white in back was actually not white. Ironically, it was Grafdigger's <laughs> Cage. Yeah. Grafdigger's Cage, and then there was accumulation of white printings. Mentor, um, obviously, Containment Priest was huge. 
Mm-hmm. And fragmentize kind of completes the circle, if you will. It closes the loop <laughs> that began, it, that really began with naturalize. And in that way, it's kind of an irony, right? I mean, naturalize took, by taking disenchant away from white, it took away one of white's key reasons for being played. It's a raison d'etre for being played in the format. And then it not only took, it, 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 nature's claim was insult to injury, because mm-hmm. not only was was green going to get disenchant but now it was going to get disenchanted at half the cost. <laughs> so frag- <laughs> fragmentize now completes the circle in that it has a superior version, really, in a sense of na- nature's claim and brings white fully back into the format full circle. So it's a beautiful thing to see white. I mean, white is almost not just complete the circle. It's <laughs> red and green are now being displaced, in a sense, by white's yeah. ascension. Yeah. And that's the function of fragmentize. We talked about its immediate impact is that it gives just mentor decks and gush decks another one mana disenchant but in a sense it actually reconfigures the color card pool because it takes away the reason to use green and red mm-hmm. and marginalizes green and red again um i don't know what the least played color in the format is but i think it's green today i, I would be. say it's, it's yeah. gotta be green yeah yeah definitely um, green and, and i think i think fragmentize continues that process and we also talked about how fragmentize then for the first time allows esper decks or even just blue-white decks. And we saw Paul Rietzel win the, the Power 9 event last month with just blue-white. He's like, mm-hmm. I can use Fragmentize and I'm not even going to run red, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, of course, that wouldn't be the case if Chalice of the Void was still unrestricted, but <laughs> <laughs> because you'd still need Ingot Chewer. Yep. But but anyway, I, I just, I think that reflection on kind of the, you know, I think a lot of times people, especially more recent players, they just don't have the history to appreciate some of these, the evolution of the carpool. And so their view of these cards is, I, I, I want to say, somewhat skewed in terms of how these these colors and strategies have developed because they developed in a context of the color card, the the strength of the cards in the card pool. And um, anyway, I think fragmentize is just a real big blow. It's a it's a it's a huge blow against green and red and a huge uh, advantage for white. And it reconfigures. It's it's still reconfiguring the color colors in the format in ways that we. We'll, we'll see evolving in the future, but I think Rietzel's deck in the last Power Nine is is huge in that respect. I agree, and I I that uh, RIW event that I mentioned in the Blizzard, I took first place in that with Blue White Mentor, and I beat two shop decks on the way to the top. And I was observing exactly what Paul observed and what you and I predicted in our set review, which is that just as you said, this card means that you don't need to be three colors, and it's. I, I don't believe you have any more clear proof than Paul's performance right. and what we're observing now. Now, Jeskai Mentor is still quite popular online. There are right. still plenty of people playing red, and the, but I think it's I think it's less about Ingot Chewer now, right? These people are playing. Some of these people are playing Jeskai with no Ingot Chewers, which says a lot in and of itself, right? They want red for other things, but not the necessity. Well, he- yeah, in our set review, we said, now you no longer have to run red or green. But what we didn't say and should have said is that you don't even have to run a third color. So it has right. this double impact. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's, it also it, yeah, continues... Yeah, a fantastic the, other effect. Yeah. So it's it's huge. It's huge. The question is, the question <laughs> is, is Thought Not Seer a bigger printing? <laughs> right? That I mean, that's the, the question. question, right? Yeah. Right. And Fragmentize has done a lot for for revising and re- repositioning decks and colors in the metagame, but it's not showing up in, you know, three different decks 
and it didn't create right. all right. this new space the way that Thought Not Seer did in multiple and, different decks. And there are close enough substitutes to Fragmentize. It's not a strict necessity. Yeah. I mean, you still have Ingot Chewer, and you still have Nature's Claim, right. and you still have things like Shattering Spree. So... I don't think anything, though, can speak to the breadth and depth of impact that Thought Not Seer has had in 2016. I, I completely agree with you. We we are both going to give Thought Not Seer a moxie. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah. That's what I've been working toward, and I think that you're right along for the ride here. Thought Not, Seer, Thought Not Seer was printed in the, right at the beginning of the year, in January, in Oath of the Gatewatch. And you and I predicted very, very low numbers <laughs> for Thought Not Seer. And we were right in February and March. It was a bit of a slow burn. In fact, it didn't really stake its claim until the middle of the year. And specifically, specifically in terms of high profile, at the NYSE 4. Now, the NYSE 4 had a, a white Eldrazi in the top eight piloted by uh, Andy Brassman Probosco. But it had that that noteworthy and subtle, <laughs> subtle in terms of on paper, but not so subtle in terms of the impact to, to people's uh, impressions and social media, that 10th place performance by Jayco with Jayco Drazi. And <laughs> well, well, the, recall that was when Brian and Jayco drew in the ninth and 10th place. Yes, and un, so, a very unfortunate drawing in the 10th place when he could have been in that top eight. And, and won the might, tournament. He might have won the tournament. He might have won that tournament, yeah. Uh, so recall that we're talking about the, the tournament that Montolio, Andy Markenton, won with Ravager Thought Not Seer Shops. And also in the top eight, Andy Probosco on White Eldrazi. Also in the top eight, Roland Chang on Ravager Thought Not Seer Shops. And then 10th place, sorry, sorry, 9th place, <laughs> Brian Schloss, Schlossberg. Brian Schlossberg on Ravager Thought Not Seer Shops. And then in 10th place, Jayco with his Eldrazi Tribal deck. That was a breakout weekend for Thought Not Seer and an eye opener for everyone looking at the format with three distinctly different Thought Not Seer based decks and not even all of them workshop decks only one of them was a workshop deck yeah no it's it's so true I, this will bleed into the discussion we have around best narrative of the also yeah best set but you and i i went back and listened to our oath of the gatewatch set review and you and i but i even more dismissed the eldrazi <laughs> um we really did i mean you, yeah, you in did. our set review in our set review you had pulled for us review reality smasher eldrazi mimic and Bringer and Thought Not Seer. The only one that wasn't in our set review was Eldrazi Displacer. Yeah. And I was really dismissive. And the main reason I was dismissive is how do you cast these cards reliably, right? How do you, you know, these these cards are enormously expensive. And a workshop deck isn't going to be able to fuel them out. Mm -hmm. But what we had forgotten is that there were lands printed years ago that could be used to play these cards. Mm -hmm. Eldrazi Temple and Eye of Ugin. And we just didn't put, I at least didn't put two and two together there. Even if I had known those lands existed, I'm not... But It's, it's a stretch. It's I mean, of, Eldrazi Temple a, is hard to evaluate. <laughs> it's also part of a pattern of underestimating um, cards that are out at the upper bound of vintage playable in terms of mana cost. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we suffered with with, with um, uh, Dark Petition, we underestimated. Mm -hmm. Certainly the Delve spells. I mean, mm -hmm. at least we predicted they would see play, but most... You know, a lot of other cards. Mm -hmm. 
and, and I'll reiterate this point. You know, we one of our listeners said that we don't spend enough time measuring effect to cost efficiency. In essence, I would argue that actually we overestimate the value of efficiency over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> um, and these Eldrazi are shining horrible exhibit number one. <laughs> um, we just systematically underestimate these Eldrazi, and there's no way around it. But we'll, we'll come back to that. I just I think that what's interesting is that there was one person that I'm aware of who publicly said they thought Thought Not Seer was going to be amazing, and that was Paul Mastriano in Vintage Magic. <laughs> I think it was I think it was in April, might have been earlier than that, where he said he thought immediately at the restriction of the Lodestone Golem, he thought Thought Not Seer would immediately replace it. So that was pretty interesting impression on his part. Mm-hmm. But uh, I certainly didn't think that. <laughs> Neither did I. Well, so, there, there's no two ways about it. I mean, since since middle of this year, the workshop archetype and other archetypes created directly from the Eldrazi tribal, I'm sorry, the Eldrazi creature type, I mean, there's just been powerfully, powerfully centered around the presence of Thought Not Seer. Sometimes right. it's centered around the fact that it's not there in certain builds, but just how good is Thought Not Seer? How disruptive is it? How it creates problems for archetypes that are relying on artifact-based removal, not based, but artifact-targeting removal to deal with threats in the workshop archetypes, uh, the problems that the White Eldrazi list made for people in evaluating threats, and and in addition to all that, the the tribal Eldrazi list that that did so well in so many events and even put a a top eight at champs up. It's I, just been totally across agree. the board. Well, let's move to our next Moxie category because okay. I think we're we're bleeding the discussion even more explicitly now. <laughs> so the why don't you run through the categories, Kevin, for sets. The nominees for set are Oath of the Gatewatch, Shadows over Innistrad, Eldritch Moon, Conspiracy Take the Crown, Commander 26 Saint, <clears throat> Commander 2016, Kaladesh, and because it was nominated, Eternal Masters. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, Eternal Masters gets a bit of a wink there. That's because it's a reprint set, but it's relevant to our interests as a format and as a right. community. Right. But we're 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 mostly we're first and foremost a strategy show here. So we acknowledge that Eternal Master is an important thing, but it won't be really in contention for what amounts to new printings from a strategy standpoint. Let me ask you something that I think might help be a little bit revealing here. Mm-hmm. Which set were we most excited about when we reviewed it this year, in your opinion? Which set were we most excited about? Well, when we reviewed it. When we reviewed it. I would say probably Kaladesh. Interesting. In I my was, opinion, I was, it was Kaladesh. We were really excited by Conspiracy with Campbell and oh, that's true. Duretti we, and all that, too. I mean, that had a ton. I thought that was the most exciting set when we reviewed it. I, I think I think that Conspiracy might have had the highest um, excitement to card ratio. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because it was <laughs> relatively few cards we reviewed, but relatively high excitement for every card. So I see I see your point there. Kaladesh, I mean, there's just no topping our six-hour set review extravaganza. <laughs> That's <I> true. Mean. <laughs> true. But your point is well made. So where are you going with that? I was I was just curious if there was a difference between excitement going in and excitement upon reflection. 
Well, um, that's certainly the case with conspiracy yeah. as compared to Kaladesh, for example. I mean, Kaladesh has has paid the bills in terms of <laughs> like, uh, it, the excitement we had going in and coming out. No question. Yeah. I. But it, there's it, a but it, the inverse of that then is Oath of the Gatewatch, right? Yeah. Because we were way down yeah, on that set. Way down. And it turns out it has a huge yeah it has a huge I influence. Mean, Shadows of Innistrad, we were excited about Thing in the Ice, really didn't do much. Eldritch yep. Moon, we were excited about Thalia 2.0 and some of the other things, really didn't do much. Yeah. Morocco a little bit. Yep. Uh, you know. Spellqualer really a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Spellqual not not much. It's it's, I mean, I think Kaladash. The question from my perspective isn't what the winner is. I, I know what the winner is. I think you do too as well. The question is how close is it? That's the I think question. I think it's is very it a close. mile or is it a clo- is it you know by far or is it close? I think it's very close, but I think there's a problem, and it's kind of the same kind of problems that other awards shows have with regard <laughs> to proximity of release. Right? We're st- right, we've had a lot right. more time to stew and see the impact of Oath of the Gatewatch since it came out in January. And, and Oath of the Gatewatch's rise was, uh, let's say. I think 90% of what Oath of the Gatewatch had would have manifested, but I do think there was an intervening event that yeah, was, a, was the ban and restricted list change. But there was. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, it but go could ahead, be. Your T- time yeah. might prove. Time might prove that Kaladesh is the superior set in the long run. I'm I'm completely open to that. It has so many formative, powerful cards. We've already. Yeah. I mean, it had vehicles. two out of the three. Just, just vehicles as a class. Uh, Period. <laughs> it had two out of the three cards that we were considering for card of the year, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and we we could have easily put uh, some of the vehicles in there. I mean, yeah, that's true. We could have easily put the cruiser or the sky sovereign in there into our list. So it's really, really interesting. It, you know, I don't want to be. And, I don't want to be. Inventors fair. Inventors fair is huge. I mean, that's yeah. what Andy Markiton said was like the 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 best card in in his deck that during Vintage Champs that which. You know, ended up being a critical play in the final. Yep. So yep. that's also Kaladesh. But I, I, all I, of that, sum it all yeah. together, I still don't think it can. I just still don't think it. I'll just go out and I'll just say it. I think Oath of the Gatewatch is the clear Moxie winner. I'm awarding it my Moxie. And I think that I think it's not as close as people think, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a mile, but I, I don't think it's actually that close either. <laughs> I mean,. There are certain let's 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 talk about why you think that way. I think there are certain metrics that we've been alluding to, but not really solidifying. Right? There are certain ways you can evaluate a set. One of which is just the sheer number of cards that see play from the set. Right? Yeah. The number is, I think, actually slightly higher for Kaladesh among Maybe. Fragmentize and the two vehicles and Paradoxical Outcome and Inventor's Fair. That's five. Yeah. Um, both of the. Oath of the Gatewatch has multiple Eldrazi, though. It has Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, Displacer. It has all the Eldrazi, yeah. <laughs> just about. But, well, but that's but the number kind of ends quickly after that. Once you get past Mimic, the six. Reality, Mimic, Matter Reshaper, Endbringer are the three that only see play in the well, tribal. Well, there's also there's also uh, Warping Whale and Spatial Distortion. Oh, that's true. That's true. So Oath of the Gatewatch might still have the higher number of cards. I haven't done this analysis thoroughly, but that's one metric, right? Yeah. Then there's other things related to that, like how many different decks do they see play in? Exactly. Yep. Um, and obviously Kaladesh is, is, is hitting pretty narrowly as it pertains to vehicles. Yep. Paradoxical outcome, there's a couple there, different slices. We should also point out that Waste sees play, but go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, the, the, the Kaladesh cards are, are mostly narrow. I mean, and I don't mean to say that that's bad for the cards. I just mean they're, right. they they're, only they're going in, into particular decks. Like, yeah. 
whereas the Eldrazi impact has created new decks right. that That's, didn't exist so, before, and not even so close. He, and it's also had a huge impact on the existing workshop archetype. <laughs> well, and so is Kaladesh. I mean, Kaladesh brought in vehicles. We don't know what vehicles are going to be printed in the future, but we yeah. can, we can. I mean, if it's anything like equipment, we know there's going to be some good ones. Yeah. And and they're going to be good, really good, because of Mishra's workshop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it not only brought in vehicles, but it brought in Fragmatize in the one extreme, and then Paradoxical Outcome, a massive, massively important blue engine at the other. Yeah. But, but here's, so I think, you're trying to figure out what are our metrics? How do we evaluate its impact? Do we evaluate yeah. its impact in sheer quantity or do we look at distribution across the metagame? Yeah. Do we, but there are other things besides. So let me introduce two others. One, mm-hmm. the fact that the Eldrazi have created the, the elusive holy grail of deck design strategy options for vintage, which is a upper tier budget deck Mm-hmm. to me, is enormous, has mm-hmm. enormous impact. And it had an enormous impact to Vintage Champs, making top eight. But here's perhaps even more important. Even though there were maybe, let's say, nine cards, maybe 10, that, that have seen Vintage play from both of the Gatewatch, it's actually doubled the number of Vintage playable cards because mm-hmm. it's fundamentally redefined how mana is generated and used and produced. Mm-hmm. And so cards like Brushland, Caves of Kolios, Battlefield Forge, and then the older cards like Ayavugan and Eldrazi Temple, those cards have become fundamentally re-evaluated because of this set. Mm -hmm. So its impact, that's one of the layers of impact that you haven't said, which is not only do the cards cards from this set see play or make a difference, but do they change the fundamental valuation of other cards and make other cards more playable. And I think that Oath of the Gatewatch has done that more than any other set this year. Yeah. I mean, you're, certainly you're, Paradox you're totally Alcum, right. Yeah. I mean, certainly Paradox Alcum makes more marginal cards like Grim Monolith a bit better, but those cards have already seen play. I mean, Grim <laughs> Monolith is in Belcher. Mox yeah. Opal is in Belcher. Keys yeah. of Colios is nowhere. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Painlands becoming viable is a huge shift in mana base creation. You're right about that. And just the mana base for those um, white Eldrazi lists, especially white X, I should say, Eldrazi lists, are, I mean, before this year, they're almost entirely foreign, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. there's no one built a mana base like that. And, I mean, okay, some, some Hate Bears lists had similar mana bases, I suppose, because right. if they're based right. wrong, ca- uh, cavern, but still, the differences are huge. Exactly. Um, that's a really good metric. I like that in terms of, that kind of impact to playability of cards, I hadn't considered that in those exact terms. By comparison, the Kaladesh cards aren't doing that, right? The Kaladesh cards, uh, Fragmentize are, is just replacing... is substitutes. They're substitutes yeah, for they're other substitutes. cards. And, um, they're, and they're not define, redefining space, so to speak. I mean, I, I do think Paradox is a big is a big engine for Storm. It is. And is a, it's the best card for powering up Mentor that we've ever seen. It definitely makes Mox, of... it makes Mox Opal a lot better. I mean, Mox Opal is the, is the card that gains the most from Paradoxal Outcome. I don't even think that's close. Uh, yeah, Mox, I think you're right. I mean, I'm of the opinion that if you restricted Mox Opal, you'd fundamentally neuter Paradoxical Outcome. Yeah. I really believe that. Oh, yeah. But I think you're right. I think... There are some metrics, the way you set this up a minute ago, there are some metrics by which these two sets are close, yes. right? 
But then you look at those other deeper metrics, so the more systemic metrics, and yes. there's just no accounting for the <laughs> impact crazy. of the Eldazi tribe. I mean, if you had told someone four years ago that Battlefield Forge and Brushland would be would be vintage playable, yeah, you, you they would have laughed at you. Yeah, I mean, why? Why would those see play over Savannah? Yeah. Why would you know? But now we have a reason because you couldn't have predicted that. You couldn't yep. have predicted that colorless would actually be only be able to use for certain spells. I mean, there's no way. It, you know, off-color mana and colorless had always been interchangeable since the beginning of the game. So Oath of the Gatewatch fundamentally kind of changed the rules of the road in a very mm -hmm. subtle way with profound impact. Yeah. Well, at the risk of, uh, I don't know, being reductive here, I think you and I are on the same path throughout these uh moxies here because i'm definitely <laughs> i'm definitely giving my moxie for set to oath of the gatewatch well congratulations to oath of the gatewatch and also <laughs> to the lead design i believe uh one of our listeners uh ethan fleischer is one of the the key designers in that set if not lead designer so, thank you ethan <laughs> yes thank you i mean and how awesome is it to make a set that that has this kind of delayed but enormous impact Right. I mean, that's just the right. best. That's the best, right? It's like it's just a kind of a, is a sitting bomb just waiting there to blow up in our faces. <laughs> well, let's go to the let's just go to the next category it, here. It's impressive to print a set that had that big of an impact on vintage. Yeah. I would like to read our next Moxie category indulge me. Sure. Because I think I think we have to get to the main stories of the year. Yeah. I think there are there are a lot of stories this year, a lot of interesting stories. Um you could talk about the kind of dynamic fights between Gush and workshop decks, the rise and fall of DPS. You could talk about, you know, the emergence of um, paradoxical outcome and the, the the surge in Null Rod. There's so many different stories. Uh, you, you could go really granular and think about some of the stories on the VSL. You could um, talk about the ways in which uh, Gush decks have expanded and shrunk their mana bases in different kinds of ways for different kinds of threats. Um, don't forget champs moving from Philadelphia to Columbus. Lots of stories. But the two two big stories of the year are the restriction of Lodestone Golem and the fallout from that and the way in which that whole thing unfolded. Mm -hmm. And the other story is really the rise of the Eldrazi and, and the manifold effects of that, the way in mm -hmm. which you created unpowered acts that boosted tribal Eldrazi, white Eldrazi, Jayco Eldrazi. It fundamentally changed workshop decks those are the two big, big, big stories of the year. And of course, they interact a bit, more than a bit. But I want to t tell both of these stories in their kind of full glory, if mm -hmm. if you don't mind. So oh, yeah. I'll let you tell the Eldrazi story. I'll tell the Lodestone story. So the Lodestone story was, <laughs> in the fall of 2015, Chalice of the Void was unexpectedly restric restricted. I think there was some momentum for Chalice, something getting restricted out of workshops. It was Chalice. And the VSL may have had, you know, there's some complaints. People think the VSL may have contributed to that. In the spring, there was a strong sense, a very, very strong sense, that something was going to get restricted. There was a question as to what and how many cards. But everyone thought something was going to happen. Um, people, a lot of people hoped, and in fact, Rich Shea and a bunch of people, Rich Shea explicitly said he wanted them to restrict Gush, Dark Petition Storm, and if they were going to restrict something from workshops, Golem. And there were a lot of people who had that view. They felt like, let's just take out a number of things. Now, in retrospect, it would look ridiculous to restrict Dark Petition Storm. Uh -huh. Dark Petition. Um, the only card that got restricted 
was Lodestone Golem. And Lodestone Golem had a really banner February. It dominated the format, and that, we think, contributed to its restriction in April. The fallout was as intense as anything I had seen in well over a decade, Kevin. Don't you agree <laughs> that the fallout was intense? It was. <laughs> I mean, there were people who were furious, who were distraught, who were like on the verge of quitting. There were people who mm-hmm. wanted to give up the ghost on the format. Mm-hmm. And the immediate impact was was a gigantic surge in gush decks. And yep. there was also a corollary surge in Storm. We saw Dark Petition Storm surge for a bit. But the surge in gush was like to 60% of the metagame in terms of top eight decks for mm-hmm. a month or so. And so peop, it wasn't just that Lodestone Golem was restricted, but it was restricted in a context in which it, there was a fraught and heated debate about whether it should be restricted, and if so, what else needed to be restricted with it, right. and whether Chalice was the right card to restrict in the fall. And then there was a, a stream of kind of tumbling arguments that fell out of that, which were heated debates over the metagame percentage of Gush, whether Gush should be restricted, whether it's, you know people clamoring for it be restricted a couple months later, and of course it didn't get restricted. And then in the wake of that, this space that was opened up the restriction of the lodestone golem created a very unique space for thalia to emerge i don't think thalia i don't think white eldrazi would have emerged had uh lodestone golem not been restricted mm-hmm. and in some ways they're the same card but <laughs> in some ways it's actually more important that thalia is here imagine if golem was unrestricted right now and there was no white eldrazi in some respects decks like paradoxical storm would be better off yeah. Because they, in order to win, they have to remove the taxing effect. But if all you have to remove is artifacts, Hercules Recall can get that job done. But if you also have to remove Thalia, you need additional answer. So Thalia has fundamentally changed the restriction of Golem, which was a taxing creature that you play for two mana, you know, mm-hmm. a workshop and a mox, mm-hmm. and Thalia, a taxing creature that you play for two mana, uh, non-workshop land and a mm-hmm. white mana produce. Very similar in terms of the Permanence need, you know, they're very similar in many respects. His open, his completely and fundamentally changed the format in ways that we have systematic effects. So I think that restriction has made open the space for White Eldrazi, open the space for Hate Bears to win. Let's not forget that Hate Bears deck that won, what was it, the Bazaar of Moxen in the spring? Right. That would not have happened if it wasn't for the restriction of, of Golem. Mm-hmm. It was a huge effect. So. I think that is a gigantic story, not just the restriction of Gollum, but the degree to which people were upset about it. Talking about, I mean, Nick Detweiler even went on the Manadrain and said he thought that workshops were dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> which turned out not to be the case. Far from it, right? Right. Far from it. The workshops were dead. Workshops now are the best deck. <laughs> that it created the space for White Eldrazi. I still think Jaco Eldrazi would have been good. And Jayco believes that Jayco Drazi would have defeated the four Golem deck, which would have created an interesting dynamic in an alternative, yes. alternate universe. Yes, it would it have would. been fun to see how that would have played out. Um, but here's what I wanted, one thing I wanted to point out. On Twitter, not long ago, I posted a poll under the uh, our So Many Insane Plays account, and I asked everyone on Twitter... Because this came out on it. This came out on not everyone on Twitter. All of our followers. (laughs) Ask the universe. Was the restriction of Lodestone Golem in Vintage a good decision for the format in retrospect? In parentheticals, I said whether you agreed with it or not at the time. We had 269 votes in this poll. 269, and the options were yes, 
no, or not sure. So think about that if you're listening right now. Do you think the restriction of Lodestone Golem in Vintage was a good decision? Kevin, I want you to analyze that decision before I review the poll results. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, as fraught and contested and kind of bitter and vitriolic as that decision was, how has it played out in your opinion? For good or ill? Uh, Inevitable? I think taken as a whole, for good. But because I just can't deny the the fun, powerful, diverse, and interesting impact that the Eldrazi have had, and I think you and I are in agreement that the Eldrazi would not have emerged to the degree that they have exactly. inside of workshop decks or as their own archetypes if Lodestone was still... Especially the white ones is what I'm right. saying, the Thalia-led ones. Yeah, uh, to the, they would not have emerged to the degree that they have if Lodestone Golem was still a 4 I agree. And I also think that in the it's interesting... Lodestone would have been ginormously boosted with vehicles, making it even more pressing to restrict. And also, um, it's actually hurt paradoxical outcome decks, ironically, because Thali is worse. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been all, I think it's been on the end, I think it would have been inevitable. I think the mistake (laughs) was restricting Chalice instead of Lodestone Golem. I think Chalice would be a very effective anti-paradoxical outcome tool that, a lot of other decks could use besides. Yeah. But anyway, here, the, so I want our audience to think about that. You know, at the time, regardless of how you felt at the time, and there was a, a deep divide, it was a deeply divided question. Mm-hmm. I suspect if you'd pull people at the time, probably half would have said no, that they do not think it was a good decision at the time. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I would say that's reasonable. Well, the percentage of people who've said no in the poll, and this was a poll I posted in late November, who said no, that was not a good idea, was just under 20%, 19%, 19.8% or something like that. Mm-hmm. So only 20% of our poll respondents said they thought that Gollum shouldn't have been restricted. And that's remarkable to me. I mean, given the vehicles, like, are you kidding me? Like, Lodestone Gollum would be r- ridiculous today. <laughs> but but here's but the caveat is that 21% weren't sure, and 60% thought it was a good idea. So uh, to me, you're never going to get enormous consensus, but if you can get if you can get, you know, 60% of people to agree with something, that's an, an, a super majority. Most of the time, you're only going to get pluralities, not mm-hmm. super majorities. There's a super majority here that agrees it was a good decision. So applaud the DCI for making the hard decision, but also making the equally hard decision to not overreact and knee-jerk restrict gush or anything else. I think that's huge. Which What's your it's, assessment? It's hard to tease out. You, you just can't separate the the rise of the Eldrazi, lowercase rise of the Eldrazi, from the Lodestone Golem restriction for all the reasons that, that we've discussed. Yeah. So these two concepts go hand in hand. You and I are in agreement that if Lodestone was still unrestricted, Eldrazi would not be as prominent as it is for a number of reasons. It, you're right. It would be very interesting to see if the Jaco's <laughs> Eldrazi list that he claimed was quite good against four golem shops, if that was truly the case and, and bore out, there's a possible future whereby we're talking about those decks far more than white Eldrazi. But the simple truth is, is one wouldn't exist without the other. That is, the the impact of the Eldrazi wouldn't exist without the restriction, and the, the lodestone restriction might still have have come to pass as you put it with Kaladesh because of the systemic impacts of vehicles and other things there's a lot at play there but ultimately I think the boy I think the more impactful 
part was still the printing of all the Eldrazi cards, because there's a chance that some people, even in a four-golem environment, would be playing Eldrazi decks. Yeah. There would be an in- there would be a tension. To, designed to really yeah like, would be playing the Jaco Drazi to beat the, the exactly. Bloodstone. There would be some interesting tension about the the interaction of those things. I think it would be at the expense of White Eldrazi, at the expense of Thalia, as you put it. Exactly. Which is sad, you know. That would be a so I, I just that's a very powerful system systemic situation we've got going on here, and I don't mean to to minimize the lodestone restriction in any way. I think it was somewhat inevitable, especially given Kaladesh's, you know, which was in the works at the time. But I think that the the presence of the Eldrazi just kind of overpowers that decision in terms of the impact on the metagame today. Well, so it sounds like you're going in the direction of you think the rise of the Eldrazi is the bigger story of the year, the bigger... I do, I'm... but it's it's not a slam dunk. I mean, it's not I'm... a... I, I think this sure is where we part in Moxie's. I think the bigger story was aftermath, the the aftermath of the restriction of Gollum. The restriction of Gollum and the of that, mm-hmm. I think, is the biggest. The biggest. Well, you're not going to see a, a complaint from me on that one. I mean, if these these two things go hand in hand, it's hard to disentangle them. Yeah, and it I, is. It I don't really blame is. anyone for feeling the way you feel. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, great year. Let's let's just look at some decks now. What decks? Yeah. What deck do you think is the deck of the year? Let's... Well, let's let's talk some nominees. These again coming from us and our feedback from Twitter. The decks are Dark Petition Storm, Grixis Pyromancer, Grixis. Sil- yeah, go ahead. S- Sylvan Mentor, Jake Odrazi, and White Eldrazi. And I think no one nominated it specifically, but <laughs> I mean, in keeping with our theme here, I think we kind of have to include a workshop deck. Yes, I agree. And the tr- the challenge is which one though. I mean, I think Thought Not Seer Shops is probably the obvious yep. answer because of its top performance, but the year has been so diverse for shops. I agree. I mean, uh, we we said Silver Mentor. I think there are lots of mentor variants. So there's yeah. the Jeskai Mentor is is certainly a strong candidate. It's had a very very good year in terms of consistency. Um, it it has, but it wasn't new. That's the thing. So it's it's tricky because we are talking about some we are talking about newness here, and I think Sylvan Mentor got the nomination because of its newness. Grixis Pyromancer had this incredible run in the summer where it like late where it was just took off like a a rocket and then kind of fell back to earth um, and fizzled out. Uh, I think Sylvan Mentor was also a first half of the year very interesting way to position the deck is a control a really good mentor deck in the mentor mirror. Yeah, when, I agree. When mentor, mentor was like 60% of the field. Um, but but I think not quite where you want to be maybe against the Eldrazi decks. I don't know. And yeah. certainly certainly not where you want to be. I think, actually, I take that back. The, the Sylvan Mentor's weakness was combo. I think that's clear <laughs> to me. Seriously, D- DPS was the deck that predated on that. Yeah. So, um, and I think Paradoxical decks are probably just even better against Sylvan Mentor. It's because Sylvan Library does nothing for the turn it comes into play. Right. And so... Um, Sylvan Library was a good value card that didn't get flustered or misstepped, so it was well positioned at the time. But its yeah. its low power just can't keep up with the combo matchup. Exactly. Um, there are lots of decks that rose and fall, but I have to say that I think the deck that was the deck of the year is Thought Not Shops. It didn't win. It, it not the Null Rod Shops. But I think Thought Not Shops. The idea of putting Thought Not Seer in into Shops deck and then everything that 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 followed from that. I mean that deck is insanely good. 
was incredibly consistent and continues to do well. And I think will continue to do well for some time to come. I, I think that's the deck of the year. I just want to touch on what I said before about metrics, right? So how yeah. do you evaluate a deck? Decks are a little easier to evaluate than these other concepts because decks are how we interact with magic, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is how you measure performance. It's so, what we're used to. It's what we're familiar with. Right. So performance, we have a lot of data and metrics and discussion upon, and that's a big one. There are other tertiary factors for decks, like maybe the splashiness of their first appearance, right? Or how much they change the metagame or how cool they are those kind of things and some of these other decks had either brief runs of strong performance like you said grixis pyro especially some of them had very splashy appearances like i think jake odrazi scores pretty highly in the splashiness of its appearance yeah um and it has also continued to perform well the strong performance despite small numbers comparative to, compared to others but there's just no denying that Thoughtnot's shops has it both stepped up when Golem was restricted and became the the top performer, the go-to kind of baseline build. But it hasn't been supplanted. No, I mean it, there's Montolio, who obviously is is highly associated with this particular deck. He went back to it for champs this year, even after all the exciting new technology and workshops, and he made top eight. And he's been beating people up in dailies with it, even though it's nothing new, I mean, by today's Mm-mm, standards. Right. And it, the, the deck is just a, a machine designed to win magic tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and... it's a machine designed to... Cr- it's a... It's a program designed to crush vintage. <laughs> it's really what and, it is. And there's no denying it. No deck has been as consistently good while also being a new deck for this year, and it's still well-positioned for the future. I mean, there's there's no end in sight for this deck's dominance. Totally agree. Yeah, we didn't even, you know, we didn't even put Paradoxical Outcome decks on this list because they would have scored very highly in the splashiness indicator, and <laughs> but they just can't compete with the performance of this Thoughtnots shops deck. Not on, not on the kind of annual basis. So it looks so, like... So you, you agree with my moxie? Yes, I definitely do. Interesting. And it looks like Thought Not Seer wins vintage for the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Because it's true. we both nominated it as our card. We both nominated the set that it came from as our set. We both nominated its, its most noteworthy and, and represented deck as it, our deck, and we both chose as our narrative for the year a narrative that either centers around or is heavily influenced by Thought Nazir. Right. This has been the year of the Eldrazi. There's it just really no two is. ways about it. That's a perfect way of put of summing, summarizing it all. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is the year of the Eldrazi. And as far as I can tell, there's no end in sight. Putting a bow on it, nope. <laughs> 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 Obviously, new printings, you know, shake up things. And, and pretty consistently, especially given an artifact-centric set like Kaladesh, right? Who it, knows what's coming in, in Aether Revolt, but... J- Jaco Drazi is, is certainly worth an honorable mention mm-hmm. because of that special status that it enjoys yes. as being a completely awesome budget deck for this form. That's, yep. that's, that's great. But, but actually, the urgency around that is, is... The irony is that it's finally arrived when the urgency around it is perhaps diminished because... Magic Online provides a far more easy access, accessibility mm-hmm. for Power 9, and 
all but one or two of the on of the paper tournaments are proxies so <laughs> that's yeah. the, the kind of the irony of, but of it, that but it did have a noteworthy performance at champs this year uh, no and, uh, uh, no doubt and no doubt we look forward to i i, I would it would really be a shame if jake odrazi was was pushed to the wayside because of metagame changes in the near future but i, I can't see it going all the way away right no, just because it has some it's inherent not. resiliency it's, in in the form of its disruptive elements. It's also big. It's also got big threats, mm-hmm. and those big threats are really good. I just can't help but think if they ever unrestricted Chalice of the Void, my God. Oh, jeez. How good would it be for that deck? That would be that would be awesome. <laughs> I I actually would not be totally unhappy if to see Chalice unrestricted, but I don't want to get off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not. Let's save that yeah. for another episode. <laughs> Well, we want to hear from our audience, and obviously we reached out to you on Twitter and asked about your nominations, and thank you for those who responded with your nominations. There, Most of them were uh, right in line with the kind of things we were expecting and hoping to see from our audience. So thank you for that. We'd also like to hear then uh, what your nominations, or not nominations any longer, what your winners for, for your moxies would be, given what we've discussed here as our nominees. So let us know what you think on on Twitter. You can reach us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. Before we sign off though, I want to share one interesting bit of listener feedback that we got since our last show. This comes via email from Lyle Waldman, and I'm going to quote him here. Often you delineate decks like shops, car shops, stacks, thought not seer shops, frobots, etc., which are all different builds based around Mishra's workshop. And then there's White Eldrazi and Tribal, or Jaco Eldrazi, which are also variants of the Eldrazi Temple Ayavugan archetype. And then there's variants of Combo, including TPS, Dredge, etc. Even Oath has variants like Odd Oath, Bomberman Oath, Golden Gun Oath, which you talk about distinctly. But one archetype that confuses me is Gush. By Gush, it seems you include Mentor, Grixis Pyromancer, Delver variants, and some others. But when you talk about it in the show, you talk about these decks as monolithic Gush. What is special about Gush decks that do not require the same delineation as, say, Shops or Eldrazi? Now, I highlighted this, Steve, because it's borderline comical how Lyle's perception is 180 degrees from the same feedback that you and I received about a year or two ago. For those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, and Lyle, I'm not sure how long it's been for you, but we received a handful of messages in the last year or two that had this exact same sentiment, but flipped 180 degrees. <laughs> we <laughs> we were yeah we were lambasted on multiple occasions for for going deep into the distinctions between gush and mentor and this kind of mentor and Esper versus Jeskai and this kind of pyromancer while systematically lumping shops together and oh exactly and exactly dredge. and what I would say is that my guess is you've probably caught us at a certain intersection focusing on something and to the exclusion of making a distinction for the purposes of simplicity or time. I hope this episode has served to dissuade you from uh, us lumping gush together too much. But honestly, these things come in waves, I would say. As certain important features of the metagame ebb and flow, we focus on them more. And at the moment, I would argue that gush is a little bit, a little bit more consolidated and standardized right now like Jeskai mentor lists for example are 
pretty easy to spot and pretty easy to guess what 50 of the cards are going to be. Whereas the recent development has been far more diverse in the shop's uh, archetype of late, for example. So I think what you're observing is maybe a little bit of simplicity combined with trying to emphasize what is important at the moment. But obviously there are these levels of delineation across all the different archetypes. And sometimes we're guilty of not specifying for the sake of brevity. I think that's right. I mean, I recall episodes where we very carefully delineated all of the gush variants. We talked about Grixis Pyromancer, Mentor, Delver, at depth, in depth. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that the premise of the of the question is is not entirely accurate. Well, I, I don't mean to criticize Lyle here. It, it's it's pretty clear that from uh, certain episodes he has gotten this impression from us, and we will. That's fair. Tr- we yeah. will try to uh, <laughs> be as even-handed as we can with this kind of grouping in the future. Uh, but we're not always able or aware of it. Anything else, Steve? Just wish everyone a happy new year. Yeah, thank you for listening throughout this year of 2016 to so many insane plays. Again, you can tweet us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. As always, and until next year, we wish you many insane plays. Game. <laughs> <laughs>